Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Matthew chapter 10, you see, at the end of chapter 9, after going throughout all of the nearby cities and villages, teaching and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, it says that Jesus looks out on the multitude and it says that he is filled with compassion. He's not filled with compassion for them because they're sick, although they were. It says that he looked at them and he saw that they were weary and scattered. He looked at the multitude and he saw that they were weary and scattered and he had compassion on them. I kept thinking, I kept writing, I don't know why I kept writing those words, weary and scattered, weary and scattered. And I thought, have you ever felt weary and scattered this morning? (laughs) Have you ever felt weary and scattered? This week, you know, it seems like every time I get better, I come over the top of that and I get worse again. And uh, I'm still struggling. Now it seems I've been swabbed and tested for everything. (laughs) So now my doctor says, well, you're just having some severe allergies, which I hope is true. Um, But I spent the week weary and scattered, honestly, weary and scattered, like I could not focus or concentrate. So I'm not really sure what you're going to hear today. (laughs) Leaving that out to the Lord. Yes, amen. But I was wondering if anybody else felt weary and scattered. Well, why do you think that we so often feel weary and scattered? The original Greek words in this chapter shed a little bit of light here. The word weary, it means troubled, right? But, but actually there's a deeper, more sinister meaning to the word weary. It means skinned alive. Um, and, and the word... Um, scattered, it's a word that means cast aside, skinned alive and then cast aside. And so often I think that we feel skinned alive and then tossed aside, or as I wrote down, fleeced and flung. We feel fleeced and flung aside. I guess the real question is by whom are we fleeced and flung aside? Well, Matthew in chapter 10, he answers that they, when Jesus saw them, they, not only were they weary and scattered, but they were like sheep without a shepherd. Be- they were weary and scattered. They were skinned alive and cast aside because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. And think about this. This is an analogy that they would understand. I mean, they, a lot of them, at least if they didn't and weren't involved with sheep, they see them all around. They would understand this Analogy, think about what a sheep is without a shepherd. Well, they're lost. Sheep, by the way, they're not that smart. They wander. They go from place to place. Sheep without a shepherd are lost, going from place to place, just wandering around. Sheep without a shepherd, they don't know how to get back to where they are supposed to be. Sheep without a shepherd are easy targets. Um, they're, they're, they're vulnerable to attack. Anything that wants to attack a sheep, a sheep that's without a shepherd, a sheep that's all on its own is vulnerable 
to attack. When we feel weary and scattered, maybe it's because we have wandered away from the shepherd. Maybe it's because that we've become so distracted by what else is out there, what other worldly wisdom can we glean that is going to solve whatever it is that we're going through, rather than to say, I'm just going to rely on the shepherd. Do you know that in, you know, the, you know, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Do you know that I always, do you know what that means? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It means that I won't want for anything. I don't need anything else but the shepherd. Do you know for the longest time, I always thought that meant the Lord is my shepherd that I don't want. But there's some truth in there, isn't it? There's some truth into that misunderstanding of my own in, the, in that he's my shepherd, but I don't want him. You know, the shepherd then had a rod and a staff. It says it is your rod and your staff. They comfort me. Do you know what the rod and the staff were for by the shepherd? The, the, the staff was so that he could direct the sheep in the way that they should go. If they started to stray, he would take that thing and he would knock them around this way. He's like, nope, this way. Come on, come on, come on. You know what the rod was for? It was to beat off any of the animals that might come in and try to attack the shepherd. And so it was protection and direction. And that's what the shepherd provided. That's what the shepherd provides, direction and protection. I don't always want the protection, uh, the direction. I'm glad for the protection not always good with the directions. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, but Lord, what about over here? The Lord graciously says, go ahead and try it. If you want to go that way, go ahead. And that's when I start to feel weary and scattered, skinned alive. It's like I look to the world's wisdom and say, what have you got to offer me? And the world says, I'll show you what I got to offer. I'm going to skin you alive for everything that I can get from you. I'm just going to toss you aside when I'm done. And that's how you feel. That's why you feel skinned alive and cast aside. This maybe it's because we've looked to the world and said, what do you have to offer me? What kind of wisdom do you have? And the world says, I'm just going to take from you what I can get. And then I'm done with you. You go, you end up down a rabbit hole. <laughs> have you ever been down a rabbit hole? Anybody? Just, just me? Been down a rabbit hole feeling weary? Wee, wee, wee. I feel... <laughs> uh, feeling weary? Head scattered? But here's the thing. We could take comfort in this passage in Matthew at the end of Matthew chapter 9. It says, because even though Sometimes, and maybe often, we take our eyes off of Jesus. He never takes his eyes off of us. I'm so thankful for that. Now, it's at this point in this story that I think that Jesus is looking at his many followers, the many disciples that he has, and he looks out at this multitude of people who he sees weary and scattered, sheep without a shepherd, lost, going in their own direction, looking for whatever answers they could find apart from God. And he looks at his disciples and he says, and gestures to them, the harvest truly is plentiful. Essentially, he says, there are so many, there's no shortage to the number of people who need me, a shepherd, the shepherd. 
Then he looks at his followers. He says, but the laborers are few. Here he's looking at a multitude of people who need to hear the message that Jesus has. And he looks at the people that are following him. And although there might be many of them in comparison to those who need to hear, he says, there are few laborers. Then he says, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. He says, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send people out into the harvest. And then do you know right after this what Jesus does? It's not in this gospel. You have to read in the other gospels. But do you know what Jesus does right after he says this? He goes out and prays all night long. All night. It says that he goes out into the hills. I think it's in Luke. He goes out into the hills and spends all night praying to the Father. And at daybreak, he comes in and he does a thing. He called out from all of his disciples that were following him, 12 laborers to send out. That's what we're going to look at at chapter 10 today. Let's look at this. Chapter 10, verse 1. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over certain Uh, over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. And now the names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Lebius, whose surname is Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. So Jesus calls out these 12 guys from among his disciples. Remember when it, up to this point, you know, when it's talking about disciples, it's talking about anyone that had called Jesus their rabbi and was following him. And there's likely many, many of those people. I don't, they're all here. I don't know why I keep pointing this direction, but here they are right here. Out of those, he calls these 12 specific men by name. The, in the first, and you can find this list. It's in Matthew, it's in Mark, it's in Luke, and it's in Acts. Essentially, it's all the same, Um, especially in in this point, Peter's always listed first. In all these lists, Peter is always listed first. Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. You know, we've done a lot of talking about Peter, you know, and the kind of guy that Peter is. And Easter, we talked about how, like, he was kind of a big guy, wasn't as fast as John the disciple loved, as John so clearly pointed out, he was faster than him getting to the tomb first. Um, you know, Peter, impetuous, the, guy, the first guy in, also the first guy to put his foot in his mouth often, usually speaks and then thinks, was the guy at the, in the garden who pulls out his sword and cuts off the ear of the high priest servant Malchus because he is like ready to, ready to go. He's the guy that uh, says to, you know, rebukes Jesus for talking about his own death, that Jesus at one point says, wow, you, you, God gave you some amazing insight. And in the next breath calls him, get behind me, Satan, because you've just, you've, you've just rebuked me. I'm telling you the truth. This is the guy, the, the fisherman, the fisherman who in the Bible, we only see ever catching any fish when Jesus is involved. I'm sure he must have caught fish some other time, although we never see it happen unless Jesus miraculously causes it to happen. This is Peter. This is the guy, the fisherman, the guy that Jesus calls first. And then it says his brother, Andrew. You know, Andrew, if you know, Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. You know that? 
he was one of the guys that was following around John the Baptist. And when John was like, hey, there's Jesus, you guys, that, that's the land that takes away the sin of the world. And so John, and I mean, Andrew and whoever else went to follow Jesus. And he just kind of followed him around and spent the day with him. And then you know what Andrew did? He went and got his brother Peter and he brought Peter to Jesus. That's what Andrew does. Andrew brings people to Jesus. There's another story in the Bible where it was some Greeks some guys from Greece that were in the town and they were looking for Jesus and they brought him to Andrew. And Andrew said, all right, let me take you to Jesus. Jesus brought, Andrew brought people to Jesus. That was his nature. That's what he did. So Peter and Andrew, these two fishermen. Then the other two guys, he calls out James, the son of, Je- Je- the son of Zebedee and his brother, John. We know a little bit about James. We know, uh, we know quite a bit about John. He's the author of the, the book of John, uh, the Gospel of John, and, and uh, first the letters of John. It was the only apostle that we believe wasn't actually martyred, but died of old age. John referred to himself as the, the one that Jesus loved. Clearly, he was faster than Peter. We saw that. He's also a fisherman, the brother of James. We don't know that much about James, what we know about James and John at one point is that they uh, earned the nickname Sons of Thunder by Jesus. Jesus called them Sons of Thunder. That was our softball league's name in, in my church up north. We were the Sons of Thunder. We never even played one game. Got rained out, and then we were like, uh. We did have t-shirts, though. Sons of Thunder. They got that name because at one point they were uh, with Jesus and Jesus was rejected by the people of Samaria. And, and this, this actually blows me away because John and James, they come to Jesus like, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and burn them up for rejecting you? That, I mean, that's pretty presumptuous. Do you want us to call down fire from heaven, they say? And Jesus kind of just like shakes his head at them, I think. And he must be like, you guys... No, it's a good thing he did because that city actually became quite a hub for the spread of the gospel, didn't it? You know, not a, not, it wouldn't have been had James and John had their way. They would have burned them all up with fire from heaven that they would have called down. The sons of thunder. And you have Philip. Philip, you know, was, Philip was an evangelist. Philip was a guy that we see all over and over again talking to people about Jesus. You know, Philip was one of those guys that just was so filled with the joy of the Lord that he just could not help but spread it to every person that he ran into. Bartholomew, I don't know. We don't know that much about this guy. He's here. His name is on one of the foundational stones of heaven, the Bible says. Jesus clearly saw something in this guy. We just don't, we don't know a lot. I'm not going to speculate about Bartholomew. I just said he is included in the 12. Then we've got Thomas in this list. Jesus calls Thomas, who we affectionately call the doubter. <laughs> I think Thomas was just brutally honest, to be honest with you. I think that you know, he just kind of spoke whatever it was that he was thinking um, Thomas was one of those guys at one point, nobody really remembers this. They only remember the fact that he doubted the fact that Jesus had risen again. But at one point while Jesus was alive, Jesus was like, I'm going back to Jerusalem. And the other disciples were like, well, you know, they're looking to kill you there. And Thomas was like, let's go with him and die. 
you know, Thomas was the guy that wasn't there when Jesus rose and appeared to the remaining 10 disciples. And so when they came back to him and said, Thomas, we saw Jesus and he was here and he was risen from the dead. And he's like, ah, you know what? If I don't see him with my own eyes, if I don't touch him, in fact, I need to put my finger in the hole and my hand in the side and then, then I'll believe. And Jesus heard that, obviously, because he shows up a week later to Thomas and he's like, Thomas, whatever side, this, Thomas, look, feel, touch, believe. You know, it doesn't say anywhere that Thomas actually was like, okay, you don't touch him at all. He immediately fell down and worshiped Jesus without even touching him. Thomas, this is the guy that he called. Matthew, the tax collector. This is Matthew's gospel, by the way. This is according to him. Matthew refers to himself as the tax collector. He adds that part. Matthew, the tax collector. He's like, I was one of the guys that Jesus picked to go out and be a forerunner for him in the cities that he was going to go to later. I was one, a wretch like me, hated by my own people. Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus. We don't know that much about this James either. Uh, James, the less he's often called in scripture. I, you know, was he shorter? I mean, was he like the chosen calls him little James? I, I don't know. I don't know exactly why they just had to figure out, well, if you're James and you're James, but you're big and you're little, maybe you're James the lesser. That's what we're going with. Then it says, uh, Lebius, whose name was Thaddeus. Again, another guy that was called that we don't know that much about. He didn't write any letters that are included in the Bible. There's not a lot of information about him, but what do we know? He was called by Jesus at this time. Jesus went away overnight and prayed, Lord, who would you have me call out of my disciples to be the ones that I send out ahead of me? Who would you have me call? And these are the 12 names that God gave Jesus to call out. So there's a purpose for him calling Thaddeus. And then Simon the Canaanite, who we also know as what? Simon the Zealot. Uh, A zealot at the time was uh, a guy that was basically an assassin. They were trained assassins. Josephus, the first century historian, calls them dagger men. They would have a dagger hidden in their robe, and they were trained. They knew exactly how to pull out their dagger in a crowd, slide it in between the breastplate and the backplate of the Roman uh, armor, and pierce a major organ, slide it out again, put it away, and disappear into the crowd without ever being seen. These were the zealots, highly trained killers. Here he is in the list of people who, number one, were following Jesus, and number two, Jesus called to be one of his disciples. (coughs) Excuse me. And lastly, Judas Iscariot, Matthew adds, who betrayed him. Judas included among the 12 that Jesus calls to be the people that he's going to send out ahead of him. So these are the 12 guys. Jesus actually is going to go out and follow them into the cities that they will go out into, but they are to go out ahead of him with the message of the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Remember, we talked about this a little while ago, at hand, close. This is as far away as I could get from my hand, right? If you all put out your hand, you don't have to, only if you want to. 
<laughs> Thank you, Sean. Thanks. Put out your hand. That, that's close. This is as, this, this is far away. And he, basically what Jesus is saying is the king of the kingdom is here. Go out and tell that message because I'm coming around behind you to all of these same cities. You are my forerunners. Go out. Do you recall that to many of these guys, a number of them at least, he said that he was going to make them fishers of men. And this is the beginning of the fulfillment of that promise to those men as well. You're now going to go out and start to be fishers of men. And you know what? It says here that he doesn't send them out empty-handed, but in verse 1, it says that he gave them power. See that? It says that, and he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal from all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. It's very interesting, that word power. It, there's a couple of different words that mean um, uh, for power. In, later on in the, the New Testament, Jesus will give them the Holy Spirit. Um, and Pentecost will come and they'll all be endued, endued with power. That word, power, is dunamos. Dunamos is the word for the power of the Holy Spirit. It's where we get the word dynamite, which I love that. The power of the Holy Spirit is dynamite. Dynamite. <laughs> That's not this word. This word is not dunamos in Greek. This word is authority. See, Jesus gave them his authority over <clears throat> unclean, <clears throat> unclean spirits and sickness. Jesus doesn't give them the dunamos power of the Holy Spirit yet. He gave, and the word gave, you know, if you look up the word gave in the Greek, it has lots of definitions. There's many. But there is one, allowed. He allowed them his authority for this purpose that he sent them out. I love that because we've been talking about Jesus's authority over the elements. Remember, he stands up to the storm and he says, be still. And the wind and the waves were immediately calmed because they were under his authority. Remember the centurion comes to Jesus and he says, look, I know that all you need to do is say the word because even sickness and, and disease is under your authority. It's the same authority over all things that Jesus lends or allows these apostles, this first time it's used, to go out now as his forerunners into the land. As you look through this list, though, I mean, like, why these guys? When he started calling out the names of, you know, he's got a big group, right? He comes down, and it says at daybreak, he comes down, and there's a big group of disciples there, people that have been following him around. And he's like, all right, I'm going to call out some, some specific guys that I have a specific job for. They're going to be the ones that I'm going to send out. And when he started calling out those names, do you think that there were people there hearing those names and thinking, that guy? That guy? He is a tax collector. Those two guys? Jesus, those two guys, they're just dumb fishermen. They can't even get along with one another. And the, that's who you're calling. And, and that guy, I never even heard of that guy. <coughs> you know.
But even though they had never heard of that guy before, Jesus knew every single one of them. Remember, Jesus prayed all night the night before on who to send. I wonder if, I wonder if we were able to hear that prayer that Jesus had prayed all night to the Father. If we, if we could have heard what he said, I think we would have heard, Father, that guy? <laughs> Those two guys, Father? <laughs> now, Jesus was able to look past who they were and to see who they were meant to be. Just like Jesus didn't see a tax collector or a harlot or a leper. He saw a man or a woman who needed him. Just like when he looked at me, he didn't see a tall, handsome (laughs) guy that thought he had it all together. He looked and he saw who I was going to be, who he had meant for me to be. Because beauty fades. That's what the Bible says. Beauty fades. Just saying. Clearly. (laughs) He picks these 12 guys not because they are awesome, but for a greater purpose. I want to read to you something out of 1 Corinthians Uh, Chapter 126, it says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise, according to the flesh, and not many mighty, nor many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised. God has chosen these things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. You see, he says he chooses the simple things, the base things, the, the, you know, the things that are, the world would say, that guy? <laughs> Do you know why he does that? Well, not just so no flesh can glory, but so that all glory goes to him when great things are accomplished through whom he chooses. Think about this. Let's say uh, Pastor Jeff um, one day was in the park and he found this old, still in tune, miraculously, violin, picked it up and played an amazing, very difficult piece on the violin. When he was done, would we all look at that violin and be like, that's amazing, that violin is amazing? Or would we say, holy cow, look what he did with that piece of junk? Amazing piece of junk. (laughs) That's so that when I stand up here and you hear something that touches your heart, it's God touching your heart. I'm just a, you know, out of tune violin, I guess. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with it. You know, if if it's all on, if it's all on him, then I can have a really tiresome week. I can have a really weary and scattered week and trust that the Lord is still going to do something amazing. Amen? So he picks them out, not because they're awesome, but because he's awesome. Because he's going to do something amazing through them and he is going to get the glory. And then he equips them. Do you realize that they were disciples first and then apostles? 
There's an importance to that order, right? They were followers of Jesus, and then Jesus sent them out. They came to Jesus, and then he sent them out. Disciples first, then apostles. Has to happen that way. And then he equips them. It wasn't about their ability. It was about their availability. They were available for him to send them out. And so I wonder, <clears throat> are you available to God? Are you available to speak? Are you available to share your testimony? Are you available to help, to mow a lawn, to make a meal, to watch someone's kids so that they can have a break once? Are you available to pray for somebody or with somebody? Well, okay. But if Jesus picked these guys because he had seen past who they were and could see who they were to be, why did Jesus pick Judas? It says right here, he betrayed him. He knew Jesus, he knew Judas would betray him. But you have to understand that Jesus was going to be betrayed. It had to happen. That if he came, it was prophesied that he would be betrayed by one of his own. This was part of the plan. It had to happen. Now, <clears throat> it could be argued that Judas didn't have a choice in the matter. That he was picked because he was going to betray Jesus. And I guess I've heard it said, well, Jesus didn't pick him because, but that he would. But it does say that Satan entered Judas and then Judas betrayed Jesus. So I guess it could be argued one way or the other, whether Judas didn't have the free will to choose or not choose to betray Jesus or whether he did. But I'm not really actually talking about that today. It's not my concern today. What I'm concerned is with what he did after his betrayal. Whether he was caused to betray Jesus or not, he, what happened after that, he did have, I believe, the free will to go and make it right with Jesus. Do you ever think about that? He betrayed Jesus. And all, that's all it said that he would do. One of his own would betray him. Then he goes out and feels so guilty about what he did. He so regrets his action that he, gives, he throws the money back to them. Then he feels even more guilty and he goes out and he kills himself. He could have gone, I think, and made that right with Jesus. Do you understand? Have you forgotten that Peter also betrayed Jesus that night three times? Jesus also betrayed Jesus three times that night. In fact, every one of them ran away. Every one of his disciples betrayed Jesus and ran away that night. Not just Judas. Judas wasn't the only one that betrayed him. Judas is the one that betrayed him and then killed himself. Peter betrayed Jesus. He was so overwrought that he was weeping to the point of death and ran away, but eventually he did not kill himself. He came back, and after Jesus' resurrection, he was reconciled with Jesus. He falls at his feet when Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? He's like, you know I do. And he's like, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I do. Finally, he's like, do you love me? He's like, yes, Lord, you know all things. And he falls at the feet of Jesus, and he repents, and he is restored 
to relationship. Do you know that we all betray Jesus? We all do that. What, when have I? You're thinking right now, when have I? I could hear it. I could hear your thoughts. Every time we go against his will and choose to go our own way, we deny him. Then we have the same choice as Judas and Peter. Judas regretted what he had done, but he didn't repent and come back to Jesus. Instead, he let his regret drive him to despair, and he killed himself. Peter, although he was devastated by his betrayal of Jesus, ultimately repented before Jesus and was restored. So which path do you choose? Regret or repentance? Which leads to restoration. I know which path I'm taking. Verse 5, it says, Then these twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter into a city of Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That seems a little bit exclusive, doesn't it? He's like, don't go to any of the Gentile cities. Only go to the lost sheep of Israel. And, you know, I guess you could search in and find reasons. So Jesus had a specific order of, uh, he had to go to those who um, were uh, of the descendants of Abraham. And he knew that they would, uh, for the most part, reject, although some wouldn't. Um, But I wonder if it wasn't more about Jesus saying, I want to see if you're just going to be obedient to do what I tell you to do. Isn't obedience one of the main themes of the Bible? Isn't he say, doesn't he say many things like, look, I'm not going to tell you why I do or don't want you to do this thing. Can you just do it because I said so and I'm God? How, you know, how many parents here? How many parents? Have you ever said to your kids when they said why, you just said because I said so? When we were like, why God, why can't, I eat, why can't I eat lobster when they said this in the desert? Why can't we have lobster? The heathens are eating lobster. And God just says, because I said so. <laughs> Will you be obedient to do what he says or are you going to try and negotiate? Don't we do that? We just try to negotiate with God. I was like, all right, I, I hear, okay, I hear what you're saying. You make some good points, God. However, what about, how about if I just... And he says, can you just be obedient? Can you just go where I say to go or not go to where I say don't go? Can you just say what I say for you to say to whom I say to say it? And can you step back from whom you want to go to, but I'm telling you right now is not the right time because maybe I'm doing something there. Can we just be obedient? This is what he's telling them. Can you just don't go here because it's not time for that. Just go here. Here. Heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out the demons. Why? Because he had given them his authority to do it. Freely you have received, freely give. That says, I'm giving, Jesus says to the 12, I'm giving you my authority to go out and do these things, and I'm giving it to you freely. It costs you, you didn't didn't have to pay for this. right that I'm giving to you, but when you go out, give it away freely. Do not create a healing ministry for which you then make people pay to receive. Apparently, this message has been lost somewhere along the way over the last 2,000 years because I've seen so many 
opportunities that people have used to pro- prosper or profit off of healing ministries, of which the Lord said, if I gave it to you, I gave it to you freely. Give it freely. He says, provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staff for a worker is worthy of his food. This kind of makes me laugh because I'm about to go on a flight and I'm thinking, you know, now you have to pay for every bag that goes on the boat. And this is good advice. I think that he's saying, like, just take absolutely only what you need. You don't need two pair of shoes, just one pair. You don't need two tunics, he says, just one. But really, here's the message. I've already equipped you with the authority to overcome the things that you're going to have to do. Now, don't take a lot of stuff. Why? If you have a lot of stuff, you will rely on the stuff rather than me, Jesus says. The more stuff you have, the more you rely on it rather than to be completely relying on the Lord. He's like, I'm sending you out. And he's going to say, you know, um, under some certain circumstances, the more stuff you have, the more you will rely on the stuff rather than relying on me to provide for you what you need. So don't, don't take any money. Just don't take any money. <laughs> How many of you could actually do that? Get in your car and be like, the Lord is sending me out to Brownsville, Texas. I'm not taking any money. <clears throat> Baron, you're eight. <clears throat> <laughs> do you want to know something though that is childlike faith isn't that what the bible says we have to have faith like a child that says i go i don't need any money i'm just i'll just go and then you get to be an adult and be like yeah but what about gas and what about lodging what are we going to eat and what you know what are we going to do this and he actually answers all of that doesn't he he says go into the town and, and you'll enter inquire on who is worthy who is worthy um it's a word that means of equal measure it's like on a scale. They, they not weigh the same as you, but they understand or have a desire for the same thing that you are desiring, which is the spreading of the kingdom of heaven. Or at least in this case, they have a love of the God of Abraham. Find that person, he says, and stay with them. In fact, I think it would be, they, they, they'll be amazed to find that whenever they go in, someone who is worthy would say, you stay with us. They would probably not even have to ask, hey, is it okay if we stay on your roof? They would be like, we've got a space for you. Come in. In fact, I wouldn't be at all surprised if God had already told them that somebody was coming to stay on their roof. <clears throat> and when you go into the house, greet it. And if, if the household is worthy, let your peace be upon them. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. <clears throat> and whoever will not receive you nor hear your words... When you depart from the house or the city, shake off the dust from your feet. You know, they actually believed, the Jews believed that the Gentiles were so contaminated that if they went out, before they came into the city of Jerusalem, they'd take off their sandals and knock the dust from the heathen land that they had just walked through. <coughs> and so it kind of was a saying at this point, to knock the, the dirt from your sandals. But really what he's saying is, um, don't let someone's disregard of your presentation of the gospel infect you. Shake it off. 
shake it off. Remember how we talked about this identifying? If you, like, if you come to someone and say you want to share, and they're like, oh, you're an idiot that you believe that, what do you do? You punch them in the throat. No, that's not how you do it at all. What do you do? You leave. It says you don't take what's valuable to you and cast it before a dog. That's it. You leave. He says if you go and they won't receive you, if you, if you give them their peace, you say peace be unto this house, and then it does not return to you, take back your peace and leave. Assuredly, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in that day than judgment, um, in the day of judgment than for that city. This is an interesting verse right here. Um, you know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot was there um, living. He had found his way into the, the city gate. He was like a judge of the city. Um, and two angels of the Lord came and they said, uh, Lot invited them in to his house to stay with him. And they were like, no, no, well, that's okay. We're just going to camp out right here in front of your gate. Do you know that Lot knew exactly what was going to happen? He said, no, you can't do that. You've got to come inside my, my gates. He was living in a place that he knew was despicable. Yet he couldn't pull himself out of that because he had some kind of a position there that was more appealing. Do you realize that? That they were like, no, we'll stay out in front. And he was like, no, you, you know, you know, you got to come in right now. You got to come in. He cut, shut the gate. Now it says that people from every region of that city came to him and knocked on the door. And it's like, Lot, <clears throat> we want you to send out those two visitors that you have so that we can know them carnally, is what it says in my Bible. Know them carnally. And Lot says, no, don't do this despicable thing. <clears throat> essentially the angels say, you know what? The Lord has sent us to warn you to get out because he's going to destroy this entire city. And so what they gather up their whole family, their daughters and their daughter's husbands, and they go. And essentially uh, as they're leaving, the Lord rains down fire and brimstone and destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. That's, that's who he's talking about here. Okay. So it's actually saying, assuredly, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in that day of judgment than that city. And, and it was not tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah. They were destroyed because of their wickedness. So what is he saying? Even as bad as the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was, there is a sin even greater, and that is the rejection of Jesus. The rejection of Jesus is what the Bible calls the unpardonable sin. Even as wicked as Sodom and Gomorrah was in their wickedness, and it was wicked, the rejection of Jesus Christ is even more un intolerable. In fact, it's unforgivable. Now, it's only unforgivable if you die in that sin. Did you know that you can receive forgiveness from the rejection of Jesus Christ if you accept him at any point right now? or tomorrow, or on the moment of your deathbed, the Lord allows you to ask for forgiveness of your sins and receive his salvation, and he grants it to you. But if you breathe your last breath in rejection to Jesus Christ, there is no forgiveness. There's no, there's no release after. There's no prayers that can be prayed for your behalf after you're gone. You've died in the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ. And he says, that's the worst thing that could happen. <clears throat> now 16, he says, behold, I send you out as a sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Jesus says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. That, when I first read that, that's not especially reassuring. 
I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. But Jesus isn't saying, I'm sending you out as lambs to the slaughter. He's saying, I'm sending you out sheep among wolves. It's a compare and contrast. Sheep and wolves are vastly different. In fact, how many of you think that if I had a sheep here and a wolf here, you could tell the difference? Just Rachel. Okay. And Tegan, that's just the two of you. All right. The other of you will work on that. No, it's obvious. The difference between a sheep and a wolf, it's obvious. They're, they're so different. Even just the, uh, the appearance of them is so different. The, the way they operate their lives, the way they do what it is that they do, the way they get their food is so different. And Jesus is saying, you are to be as different from the world as sheep are from wolves. Have you ever seen an attack sheep? A guard lamb? We're not to do it the same way the world does it. We're not do's it. <laughs> We're not supposed to take what we have to give and deliver it in the same way that the world would take what they have to give and deliver it. We're supposed to be different. And not only different, obviously different. So obviously different. There's very few people here that want to go up and hug a wolf. There's a couple crazies. I'll give you There's a couple. You can see them on National Geographic and Discovery. But for the most part, no one's going to walk up and give a wolf a great big hug, especially out in the woods in the wild. But you might go up and hug a lamb or a sheep, I suppose. You know, he's telling them, you are to be vastly different with what I'm telling you to do. Not a wolf, a lamb. And then he, he, makes, this, uh, he makes this statement. Um, be as wise as a serpent and as harmless as a dove. Now, this actually isn't a, a contrast. He's not contrasting doves and serpents. He's saying you're supposed to take something from this and something from that. And so I think, I think the dove one is obvious, harmless as a dove. Doves aren't especially opposing figures. In fact, it's like the symbol of peace, right? The dove. But the serpent one, that's a little harder to, to grab a hold of. First of all, especially for me, because I absolutely hate snakes. I, I can't stand them. I, I'm afraid of, first of all, I think that's what it is, is I am afraid of snakes. Black razors especially. They just, they come out and they're just like, and they come right at you. What's up with that? <laughs> and they're fast. And I don't understand snakes. How do they do? They don't have arms or legs. And they can climb everything. I, I, don't, I don't get snakes at all. I, <clears throat> and, and you know what? This is the, this is the, um, our, our Lord's sense of humor. I used to work at the Conservancy of Southwest Florida. I don't know if you know about this or not, but they have a team that just goes out and hunts and catches pythons. They're 18 feet long. And part of my job was to bring wealthy people in to see these 18 foot long snakes that I am deathly afraid of these little ones. And here I am in the lab with these enormous snakes. I'm like, isn't this great? <laughs> and the snake guys knew it. They knew that I was afraid. I'm like, come on, Aaron, you want to touch it? And I was like, I'm good. I'm, I'm good over here. So when Jesus says, be as wise as a serpent, I'm having trouble with that. But, um, but I think he, helps, he helped me to understand this. Here's, here's the deal, right? Have you ever um, seen what a snake does to protect itself? They don't have any arms or legs, so they can't do this or this or whatever. They coil around, right? 
They coil around so that their head is in the middle and their body is wrapped around their head. Essentially, what is the most vulnerable part of a snake? Doesn't the Bible say of the serpent, you will, he, the, she will, the, he will crush your head with his heel. That's how you kill a snake is you crush its head. And so essentially what Jesus is saying is be as harmless <clears throat> as a dove, but protect your head. Protect your head. And I'm not talking about your physical neck. Like, doesn't mean, you know, if you're going to go out and share the gospel, put a helmet on. <laughs> it means your mind. Make sure that you go out and you protect your mind from things that are going to sound close to the truth or convincing or sound good. He says, protect your mind. Be as harmless as a dove and go out there with a tactic of a lamb rather than a wolf. Does that sounds like pretty good advice to me? Doesn't it? Is that the I mean if I was a if I was an unbeliever and somebody was going to come and talk to me, I'd like them to approach me that way. Gentle and harmless. Um, cautious, they're cautious because they don't want to be drawn away. Maybe I'm a really elegant, clever speaker. Maybe I'm really good. I'm really maybe I really know what I'm talking about in my um, theories. <clears throat> this is how he calls them to go out to go out harmless, to go out as a lamb, but protect your mind about the things that are going to want to do you harm. That's where we're going to end today, gang. Um, read ahead the rest of the chapter. He just goes on and on. It's very good advice for them. It's also very good advice for us in terms of as we're looking to go out uh, and be used for the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word today, uh, Lord, what you've revealed to us and what you call us to do, Lord. Lord, I uh, appreciate that you call those um, who you see uh, are available to be used, and then you equip them with what you need them to have. And so, Lord, I personally thank you for that. Lord, I pray that as we all do um, heed the call to go out and be the forerunners of your return, uh, Lord, we would do so in such a way that reflects your word, harmless as a dove, gentle as a lamb. Lord, yet always remembering to protect our minds against the ungodly wisdom that the world has to offer us, Lord, and that we would not be fooled or distracted or end up going down a rabbit hole. And Lord, I do pray that when we find ourselves weary and scattered, that we would realize it's because we've wandered away from the shepherd, Lord, and that we would call out. Uh, in repentance and Lord in confession Lord forgive me for going this way forgive me Lord for betraying you forgive me Lord let me be restored to you well, Lord I thank you so much and it's in your name Jesus that we pray Amen, Amen.